0: Good Ohio. I'm your host, James Hayes, and this is the What's Good Ohio podcast, where we talk to the activists, organizers, the visionaries, and good troublemakers coming together to make our state better for everyone, no exceptions. Today I'm joined by Sarah Rodenberg from Policy Matters, Ohio. What's good, Sarah?
1: Oh, everything is good. It's finally fall and not 95 degrees and humid anymore. Um, and my Wisconsin blood is very happy about that. <laughs> Besides that, I actually just I was out of town all weekend for my little brother's wedding and I'm still recuperating mm-hmm. from that. <laughs> How was your weekend, James? Uh
0: our, our weekend was it was okay. The the family was sick. Uh Felix brought some illness into the house as toddlers uh often do and um you know, so I, I was okay, but uh but you know, for the most part, but every, everyone everyone was down. Um so we're, we're, we're back up now, we're feeling better, um, but yeah, it was it was a rough weekend in the Hayes household. I'm excited uh, to be with you again though, uh, have another conversation. Today, uh, we're talking about what's good with alternative care response programs. We're joined by Stephen David. He's also an organizer with the Columbus Safety Collective, a group that exists to create an anti-racist, health-centered, non-police emergency response program for the city of Columbus.
1: We also have our very own researcher from Policy Matters, Ohio, Bree Easterling, joining us to talk about some of the care response work they've done in Cleveland. Welcome, Steve and Bree.
2: <laughs> Thanks so much for having us. Thank you.
1: Of course. Well, let's just get right into it. Uh, you both work in creating a care response or alternative response, which is a health first approach to um, emergency responses. Uh, under this model, trained mental health responders are dispatched to help a person experiencing a mental health or behavioral crises instead of armed law enforcement officers. Uh, the healthcare provider then connects the person to medical care, substance use, treatment, shelters, or other services. Uh, why don't we just have both of you tell us a bit about yourselves, your background, and how you got into non-police care response, advocacy, or research. Uh, Steve, we'll start with you.
2: Awesome, thanks so much, Sarah. Uh, so appreciate y'all making the space for this conversation. You know, this, um, I feel like I've been hearing a number of these like think pieces the past couple months about kind of like, what are the implications of the um, the uprisings of 2020? And And I think whereas like a lot of people want to, you know, point to the fact that, you know, we haven't seen like a lot of really substantive like police practice or police accountability reforms. Like one thing that I think we can point to really solidly is this nationwide movement to building alternative crisis response infrastructure in cities across the country. So, depending on like whose report you read, you'll see anywhere between like 100 and 160 different programs that are currently operating around the country um, in in various cities. And so, these take on like all different kinds of forms, and you know, from things like call diversion to co-response to non-police response. But I want to say that at the jump because I I think like is an important thing. Like this is a place where like that movement like got you know concrete policies and programs that are are making people's lives better right now. And I think is an important thing for us to own right at the beginning. So to answer your question, Sarah, like I've been in this space for a long time, like I'm a social worker by training, I've kind of been around um, community violence and anti-violence work, um, you, you know, my entire career in social work. And the organizing of the Columbus Safety Collective really came out of that summer of 2020, uh, when some folks were really starting to look at how our city um, spends its budget. And these questions around, like, where our money goes, and the fact that one out of every three of our dollars spent in the city of Columbus goes to, um, to paying for police. And so, um, those conversations have snowballed and become part of this like nationwide movement where, um, we're trying to do some good work here in central Ohio around it.
1: Amazing. Thank you so much, Steve. How about you, Bree?
3: Yeah. So, you know, I come to this work as a directly impacted individual, um, myself. And so professionally, you know, uh, I've been in, just like the social justice spaces, act, and so um, just social activism spaces uh, for, I want to say a little over a decade now. A lot of people, and you know, just to Steve's point, is like you know the 2020 uprising was sort of a wake-up call. But you know, as a directly impacted individual, and as a person that comes from a historically marginalized community, like the the the, the alarms have been sounding since before me. You know, since before I I've existed, you know, if in the in the sense of even like this uh, uptick of awareness around um, police violence, it wasn't 2020 for me. You know, it was it was uh, to Trayvon Martin. You know, it was Philando Castile. Um, you know, it was Corinne Gaines. You know, Mike Brown. Like this is like 20. We're, you know, we're talking 2012, 2013, 2014, where you know, from my where I, you know, from my perspective in the community I'm from, that's when the, the 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 alarms were were ringing. Then, you know, Tanisha Anderson um, died within uh, during a mental health crisis, killed by police right here, Cleveland, War Seven, within within uh, two weeks of Tamir Rice being gunned down, um, just 10 minutes away from there, so uh, from from where Tanisha Anderson um, was killed. So, you know, that's how I show up in this. In this space, you know, as something advocating for something that, when I look, when I look back again as a directly impacted individual, it's like, wow, I wish I would have had that, and I wish my community would have been able to access something like this because it it would have prevented a lot of harm, um, it would have it, it would have preserved a, a lot of lives, and as as we see it, it doing so now in the, in the, in the places that it has been implemented.
0: Uh, thank you so much for bringing all that into the conversation Bri and you Steve as well you know for 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 really grounding us in where this this particular policy comes from you know and and, and grounding it in the long-term work that's been going on to bring justice for for our communities particularly black communities and I wanna take us back, uh, Steve, to that that summer of twenty twenty. And you said, you know, there were a number of conversations going on that ultimately led to the creation of the Columbus Safety Collective. I was wondering if you could tell us a little bit more about like what what were y'all talking about? How did the Columbus Safety Safety Collective form? What did you form to do?
2: Yeah, thanks, James. So, um, the genesis of the Safety Collective, I, I cite a, um, a single activist in Columbus that started a, an Instagram account called the People's Budget of Columbus. She put out a, a graph um, that had a, a um, you know a bar chart of the city budget and how much we spend on police first, like how much we spend on some other things, um, with the uh, the title that um, cities are really just police departments with some underfunded services on the side, which. <laughs> It's a good way to describe them. I think if you're looking at like how like where their money goes. But so the the Columbus Dispatch actually like picked up this um this viral graph and ran a fact check of it because one of the bars in there was for education and so the Dispatch said like okay well you know Columbus City Schools has its own budget so this is a bit of like a misnomer as far as like how it's not like an apples to apples and. So I saw the dispatch ran that and then I went and, like I put up a graph that I made. You know, I just like I downloaded like the city's operating budget and I made a graph of all the stuff. And it is true that like a third of the dollars the city spends goes to police, like two-thirds go to public safety in general. And so after I put that graphic on Instagram, um an organizer that I had known um for a number of years that I like that I had met um, you know, back in 2014 reached out to me and was like, hey, like you should be talking to these people's budget people. So it, it was really like it started like with that um that awareness of like this is fundamentally like a policy decision, right? Like how, like what we're investing in and how we're spending our money. So on the Discord channel that got started around um, you know, the people's budget of Columbus, um we um, started talking in one of these buckets about alternative or mental health or health-first crisis response. And this is really, like, for me, my entrance point was, like, as a social worker, as someone who's been around some of the work happening around Columbus Public Health and, um, you know, just these alternative approaches um, to community safety that we've you know been hearing about for years and years and years. And so I kind of brought that perspective of like being aware of some of the stuff happening and kind of like the mental health and service provider community, um, and then got connected with some other folks that were you know trying to do this work, you know, there, there was an economist, um, you know, somebody who was like working with older adults, uh, somebody who was working in the housing space, and, but we all like saw this as something that like our city should build and quickly became aware that there's other programs operating in different forms, like all across the the country. So um, it was really kind of like this moment of like finding a group of people and opening our eyes to what was there and then started pushing on um, on the city of Columbus to make these investments. And so we formed the Safety Collective just to like project some power and, and pretend that we were bigger than we were. And since then, have have um, been able to have a lot of great conversations with community and and, and build some momentum around this issue in our city.
1: Great, Steve. Um, and then Bree, you've been working with community members, advocates, elected officials, and other stakeholders to establish a care response in Cleveland. Uh, how has that work been going? What's what's our status at this point?
3: Yeah, so, um, yeah, I, I stepped into the um, like the advocacy work around care response in July of last year. And that was um my intro to the work was uh, when I was brought on um, through Policy Matters Ohio um, as a, a public safety fellow. Um, and But prior to me being brought on, the work was already being done. There was a grassroots organization that was founded by um, Elaine Schleifer and Josiah Quarles called Reach, um, responding with uh, empathy and a- access to community healing um, that had really uh, just, Explicitly, explicitly, um, and intentionally, uh, created this organization to focus solely on, um, building out uh, a non-police care response for Cleveland. They partnered with Policy Matters, uh, along with uh, NEOC. It uh, came out with this uh, huge, like, directly impacted survey um, that targeted specifically the unhoused community uh, initially uh, to get their response and their feedback. have their voices heard on what their interaction has been like with first responders here in Cleveland. Um, And after that, you know, just uh, the momentum just kind of like grew and grew. You know, as of uh, earlier this summer, we put out, well, we launched a a petition um, urging city officials, city council and and the mayor um, to to pump out, you know, um, a non-police care response pilot um, by the end of twenty twenty four, right after we uh, launched that, we launched uh, the Care for Clee campaign. Um. Which right now we have roughly twenty five uh, coalition partners, majority other grassroots organizations, um, a couple of mental mental health agencies that have signed on also. And it, it, and you know we've seen um a lot of a lot of uh. Positive received a lot of positive feedback from the community. Um, there's been a lot of progress. Um, there was a report that um came out out of another um coalition's uh, working group that we had, um over this past winter, that was presented to uh, the county, Adams board. Um, you know, urging again, urging them to put funding behind uh, a non-police care response pilot. So, uh, that has gained some momentum. You know, at least in in theory, um, you know, they uh, are slated and have co- come out on records to state that, um, you know, there will be funding behind a a, um, a care response pilot um, in, in partnership with the county and the city of Cleveland. The thing that, you know, I, I am always mindful of and just urge other folks um, who are trying to develop like this type of program um, in, in your localities to make sure that like there is space for the entire process to be informed by like community members directly impacted individuals that that, that coordination and the um, the collaboration with the city officials or with the folks that are funding this is um, is transparent and seamless and but but other than that, you know, um, there's there's been a lot of um, forward movement on this from the time that I came on board, um, to to now, uh, you know, any type of when you're trying to to change a system or create an entire new one, um, that essentially confronts. Um, what we know to be like the the norm or like the status quo, which oftentimes is harmful. Um, there's going to be a lot of bumps in the road. There's going to be you know a lot of pushing and pulling, and you know you just gotta gotta roll with the punches and 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 stay in the ring. So, um, that's that's kind of like where where our our landscape is right now here in Cleveland. Yeah, no, that's that, that's really
0: really exciting to hear, and that's what makes
3: me so excited about this
0: issue is that there is. Such a willingness to have the conversation, and and it seems to be moving forward, um, in different ways. Um, and obviously, like you said, just there at the end, there's lots of impediments that we're seeing and we're running into, and we're gonna we're gonna hear a little bit more about that. But you know, I want to you know another thing you said I resonated with there right there, Bree, is that you know as we're talking about changing a, a large system, you know, how do we turn this huge ship? You know, how do you turn the Titanic? You know, um. And you know it's it's going to be uh you know I think through finding issues like this that are winnable, um, that do move us along the right path. I remember early on, like in twenty fourteen, when I got involved in doing work around policing. Um, I remember being on some calls and people were talking about like, oh, we got some great great demands. Let's let's do body cameras, you know, because we don't have body cameras, and everyone's like, oh, that's a great demand and then it took about like 3 weeks and people were like you know what that's just going to put more money into other people's pockets somebody's pockets to actually expand the size of uh of, of sort of the carceral state um and so uh you know these find these types of reforms that actually put us on the right path where we're, we're really asking our communities a question about how to, how are we going to provide safety how are we going to be safe um, are we going to do it through punishment are we going to find Know, other other alternative means um to provide safety right um you know L- so yeah
3: and let me just say like yeah i mean yeah. that's what it comes down to right like at, like at the at the like base of this right is bodily autonomy okay and 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 looking at things with like not even just a health first approach but a restore of restorative justice approach like versus punitive like because yeah. How, I don't know, like how many, you know, like research papers, <laughs> you know, need to come out to show that like a punitive approach just does is is not conducive to, you know, addressing the issues that um we're seeing in our communities and um to piggyback off of Steve, like um how I don't know, like how many, you know, like research papers. <laughs> you know, need to come out to show that, like, a punitive approach just does, is, is not conducive to, you know, addressing the issues that we're seeing in our communities. And um, to piggyback off of Steve, like, in terms of, like, what the budget landscape looks like in Cleveland, you know, like, yeah, you know, Cle- Cleveland has a, Cleveland has a budget, I think this it last year it was like 1.8 billion. This year is 1.9. And, you know, out of that, public safety gets like a third, over a third. Um and to to what end? Um we have a um a mental health response advisory committee here, and um, they have reported that. Like for t- t- the two years that it was running, almost 90% of all the incidents that were responded to by Cleveland's crisis intervention um, team, the CIT officers involved, uh, was involved with somebody um, with the mental mental health center. So 90% of the that that they were able to respond to, which even within that 90%, the CIC officers are still only responding to thirty percent of the calls that come through and are flagged as, you know, um, as a, a mental health crisis. Um, but what, for ninety percent of all the incidents that they respond to, be somebody with mental health symptoms, and we're still having, we're still dispatching officers to mental health crises. It just makes no sense to me because that's not that they they aren't police officers, aren't mental health therapists. They, you know, they're, they're not social workers. And so they shouldn't be responding to, to, to those, those types of calls. No,
0: nah, no, exactly. Yeah. Actually, I, one time I convinced my 95 year old white grandmother of that. And that, that's when I knew that this argument could work for sure. Um, well, and I think the,
1: that's the oh, yeah. point too. I was just going to add that, like, I think a lot of the cops even don't want to be answering some of them. Like that's the other part of it too. Like it was never meant for police to be the response to every negative situation that occurs. So, yeah, I think that it's one, it's a, a like program that literally every side should be able to get behind.
2: And I th- I think, Sarah, like the like the political utility of this issue right now, I think is like one of the reasons why we're seeing momentum around it. Right. Um, But I want to get back to to Bree's point about community input and and community control. And I feel like that's actually like the biggest opportunity of this moment right now is that we're in this moment where like folks in our cities have like a an issue that there's like general agreement on and are interested in building something new. And so in Columbus, while we're talking about it, like one of the things that we are trying to like really hammer home right now and in every room that I'm in with folks from council or public safety, I'm saying this piece about like you need to build in community control right now at the beginning, because we have this crisis of accountability with law enforcement. Like people know that if something bad happens, like folks will not be held accountable and that there is not a mechanism to like get justice with those systems. What we have here is like you're talking about building something new. So let's build it where the community controls it from the beginning. And so for us, like we've been talking about like building an advisory board for this program that is representative of folks in our city, um, maybe pulls in some additional kind of expertise that we would want, like evaluation expertise, like some of these kind of like intervention skills. and let them like hire and fire the director of it like give them teeth to do the thing so that the community can actually own it and i think that you know in in like december of 2020 january 2021 our city council did this reimagining public safety process with these set of hearings and everything and so you know out of that they like got some data where like 85% of people who took their survey said they were somewhat or very comfortable with like building one of these programs but if we're actually going to do that, like reimagining thing, like this isn't about just like building a like a program with like, you know, you have a social worker here that goes in and, and does a thing like for us, this is like a restructuring. like, let's, let's actually reimagine it. And we do that by like giving people direct control over it. And then the the important piece of that, like to me, is one about like scale and budget. And I know I keep like coming back to this point, but to me, like, this is one of the fundamental things that I I hope we have taken from this conversation is that, like, you know, budgets are moral documents. They say, like, what's important to you. And so, what we're seeing here in Columbus is like some of our political leaders loving this talking point of alternative crisis response. But then, like, we're talking $7 million for the suite of alternatives that the city has out of 370 million for police. And so, for us, like, this is a fundamental thing about like putting the money behind where the need actually is and what you say that you value and we're a long ways from that still you
3: know this is at, when, when it comes to abstract abstract theory you know this this is okay yeah everybody's on board when you had to put the, your your money where your mouth is yeah that's when the rubber really meets the road and you find out you know where 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 people really stand you know where systems really stand in terms of what they see, um, as a priority, you know, what they see um as 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 important or something that um they truly uh believe in um to be able to make like the the change that we we see we see it doing um in in other cities. Um and so yeah definitely Steve shout out shout out to you for saying that because yeah I yeah I couldn't I couldn't have said it better that that is that is one of the, the the big, like the biggest hangups and not even just in, in care response, but um, in, in anything uh, that is, you know, presented, that is new, um, that, you know, acts as a reclamation of power and autonomy um, for communities. Like this goes beyond care response, like even with like participatory budgeting here in Cleveland you know we're seeing the same you know the same type of pushback because these are things that have not been seen before have not been tried before and not only that they're rooted in reclamations of power um to the people who have have been deemed powerless uh through these types of, of policies and, and and budget prioritizations yeah
0: there's so much to dig into and in all yeah I, I I feel like we could just keep going back and forth um all day because yeah there's so much to dig into and you're absolutely right there's such a link between um both of the issues you just talked about and it's interesting because you know you said they haven't been seen here but they've they're seen all over the country and uh, they're seen you know so there, there's lots of models it's, it's nothing particularly new um in that sense but um but steve there's one thing i wanted to dig into a little bit more because i know Early this year and February, um, the Columbus City Council award did, did awards some money um, through a budget amendment. Um, I think one point two million dollars for a non police police emergency response pilot. So I was wondering if you could speak a little bit about how, how did y'all sort of accomplish that? What has happened since then? What has been done with
2: that money? Yeah. So, short answer to that question, James is nothing's been done with it yet. So, what, since then, it's been frustrating, right? Um, so, I guess like what got us to that point is like in um, in the, the the lead up to the release of the 2023 operating budget, we were trying to push on on Ginther and public safety to allocate 10 million dollars for non police emergency response. Mayor Ginther didn't include any money for the program we've been asking for in his executive budget. He did put some more cash to the existing suite of alternatives that we had in the city. So we have a call diversion program, which is like social worker in the call center, two follow-up mechanisms, one for older adults, one for overdoses, and then a police social worker co-response program. So he gave some more money to those other alternatives, but did not allocate any money towards a, a non-police response program. So um, the executive budget didn't contain any of those funds. Um, but then uh, Council President Hardin allocated these $1.2 million in an amendment to the budget to stand up one of these programs was the commitment that he made. And so what we've seen since then is um, really continues to be this like lack of buy in from the folks in public safety about the need for this program. Like we continue to hear it, like I w- I was in a conversation last week where we can where we continue to hear them say, well, like w- what's the problem we're trying to solve here? You know, like we we have these w- like we have this co-response program, we have the you know the social worker in the call center. Like, what problem are we trying to solve? And and to me, like this gets to to Bree's point about like the the problem that you're trying to solve is that you have relied on police to cure every social ill. Like it's, it's like problem number one, and so like we're trying to solve that and then also to give community control over their safety. And so like, those are the things that we're trying to to do with this. Um so has been frustrating, you know, because like there's this money that council has set up and, but yeah, like in the conversation we're having, like, we're still not seeing that buy-in on the public safety side. So even with this issue that has like this, some of this political utility, when it comes down to it and you like ask folks like in public safety, like, do you want civilian response or non-police response, like whatever you want to call it, like you still get that resistance from them. And they say these things about like, oh, well, you know, we like, you know, we, it's not safe for like these folks to be doing this stuff, which to like, to anyone who, has like ever done community work you know, it's like you are in these neighborhoods all the time. Like the things I say is like social workers are in these neighborhoods every single day with a clipboard and a bed bug chair. You know, like they're in these communities. They're talking to these people all the time. You know, so um, we're still trying to dispel those notions that like only a militarized police force who drives in, you know, 45 minutes from outside of the city to drive around these neighborhoods, they're the only ones who can safely engage with these folks. And We just know that that's not true from anyone that's like done like any kind of community facing work. So there's still like obstacles for it. Like we are like seeing momentum like around these conversations. And like um, we've been like trying to pursue this inside game, you know, like we we have some folks that have been champions of it in council and are trying to like get them to use that cash to like we need to hire someone to hold the work. And so one of the things that like is happening here is like Columbus has this suite of alternatives, um, you know, RRU, MCR, Spark and React. But. Nobody bottom lines that work. There's not like any single person who's responsible for the alternatives. And what we've seen in some other cities that have scaled their operations more is that they'll often like create an office where all these things live. And so we've been like asking the city to like spend that money, like hire a staff person or a consultant, like bring somebody on to hold it so that then you can line up the external and external stakeholders needed to do this successfully. Um, so we're hoping that happens and we're hoping that like we can get some more money in the coming budget. Um, and we're planning some some events like ahead of the the November release to hopefully make that happen.
1: Uh, Bree, after listening to the challenges that Steve has faced in Columbus, uh, have you experienced like similar obstacles in Cleveland, like the lack of buy in from people who seemingly should be buying in?
3: Yeah, I mean, well, you know, our biggest hang up has been um something that is highly like critical into like like developing something like a care a care response, which is dispatch data. Like we have not been able to get our hands on dispatch data. It's been uh yeah, that that's that's another um that's, that's been another like huge barrier uh, of trying to acquire the data that, that, you know, is needed to see like what, you know, what are the, what are the neighborhood um, like hotspots, you know, where we're seeing like an uptick in, in um and, you know, like as a, as an organizer and as a person from the city, like, I mean, I could tell, you know, I don't need the, the. The data per se, but, when, you know, when you have to, you know, go through certain processes and procedures in order to, like, have this, like, you know, publicly funded or, like, funded by, like, gov- government um, dollars, you know, there's just, like, certain hoops you have to jump through um, to be able to, you know, show show the evidence, show the work. Um, and and data is inter- integral to that, and that has been, like, um, one of the biggest hang-ups. And, and then, you know, like... From a macro sense, you know, like outside of the intricacies of, you know, like, oh, this needs to be done and this, we need buy in from this or whatever. Like, okay, you know, like full stop, like the overarching theme is like, people don't want to accept, admit, or like really confront the fact that we criminalize mental health. Okay. Like that, like that is like, if we really cared about decriminalizing, decriminalizing mental health, then the people and the institutions that are at the front door of the carceral system pipeline should be taken out of it like that and and nobody wants to call a thing a thing because that's what that that's what's going on here like nobody wants to reckon with how this, how we address behavioral health crises, right, crises right now, is uh, perpetuating the criminalization of of mental health.
1: And I know one thing that I have done. It- decent amount of research on and written papers about is you know we can lead a lot of our problems back to Ronald Reagan and this is one of them uh, (laughs) of closing half of all mental which were also you know terrible a lot of these facilities were not being oversaw or like not great places to be but we also just closed half of them said we were going to switch to a community response model and then just decided nope and moved on. So yeah, that is the criminalization. And then also just like, you know, we've destigmatized mental health as much as uh, I did air quotes there. I realized this is a podcast, de um, <laughs> destigmatized with air quotes in the sense of like, oh, if you're a little sad sometimes, or if you're a little anxious sometimes, like that is, we are talking about, you know, people experience serious mental health issues. And yeah, absolutely.
3: Yeah and like that's another thing too right so it, so back to like what the things that we have, that we have been advocating for in our in our model uh how we envision our model here in Cleveland is to um really be intentional and lean into what community based um uh mental health crisis response looks like and by incorporating uh, a peer support, you know, a person with lived experience to be a responder, along with um, a mental health professional, because oftentimes the person with the lived experience is going to be the 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 um, the most impactful person there to at least be able to deescalate and and resonate with um, and empathize with the individual that's in crisis.
2: Yeah, Sarah, I really appreciate your point about uh, uh, deinstitutionalization, right? Like we uh, we want to like resist like carceral system light, you know, like we don't want to, or like of another name, you know, like we don't want to just be like, like incarcerating these people. But like the, whereas resources were supposed to flow to community supports, the place where they where they flowed was the criminal legal system and law enforcement. Like, that's what we invested in. So again, like, comes back, like, where are your priorities? Like, how do you want to deal with problems? And you you can deal with them through, through like, supporting community or you can deal with it through criminalizing community. And, like, and that's a, a choice you make when you pass your budget. One of the other, the things that I want to, like, point to here, though, is we're never talking about non-police response as just like for people with documented mental health issues. Like for one reason that runs into this really sticky territory of like, well, if you have a DSM-5 diagnosis, then you don't deserve to be brutalized by the police and everybody else will. It's still OK for that to happen. So for us, this is like is never just about like mental health concerns. And, you know, so Dayton has a, a non-police program right now that's run through their Dayton Mediation Center and and so that's everything from like you know someone who is like unhoused and intoxicated and like needs some assistance or like a neighbor dispute over a barking dog and so i think like the place where I want us to be thinking about like, like what these programs can do is like everything that doesn't require the toolkit of like gun handcuffs and taser, you should have that other option available to get some help on scene that does not involve law enforcement. And so really taking a broad conception of this issue and who it can serve. So we're not like just talking about like people with documented mental health concerns, but, like what are all the times where you may have needed some help in your community, like needed somebody to come and like provide some assistance, but it really doesn't matter if it's like mental health or alcohol and drug related, but like, how can we provide that in a way that doesn't place people at additional risk and brings an attitude of benevolent intent and service to our neighborhoods rather than like a militarized police force coming to provide those services. Exactly. Because
3: you know what, (laughs) because that's the thing, like, and you know, in the spaces where I talk about care response, I, uh the how I describe it is that like this is just the floor like this is not the ceiling like this this should this should be the standard in the in the door to um exploring um other ways um to to exploring other ways that things can be addressed without the presence of police um, and that goes into this, it isn't isn't exclusive for people with diagnosed mental um, mental health issues. And and it's important to say that specifically for black communities, for queer communities, for, for communities that meet at the intersection of that, that has such a, a barrier to accessing health care to even get a diagnosis. And even if you do have the access to that healthcare because of the 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 systemic racism that goes on in that institution to be misdiagnosed. Right as something else, they're like, no, you know, this cannot be exclusive to people that fit into that specific group. Um, this doesn't. We're not even just talking about like decriminalizing mental health. We're talking about decriminalizing poverty. Okay, like care response can be used to 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 um, respond to a, a trespassing call just because somebody's annoyed that a person is unhoused and sleeping on on you know on the street or in front of a building. Um, You know, this, this can be used to uh, address um, what, what um, society may deem as abnormal behavior, but it's just somebody that's neurodivergent. Like, you know, like, like all the ways that um, different groups of people that don't fit into, you know, what our society deems as normal should be able to be um, addressed uh, with, with, with empathy and care without any type of militarization um, or likelihood of, of being arrested, jailed, or killed.
1: And I'll also add that living with marginalized identities of race, gender, class, all of these things are inherently disabling and mentally disabling and traumatizing and trauma can lead to mental illness. And it's just... The cycle, it's a, you know, chicken and egg situation of just, and obviously for many individuals there, it's all different parts of it. You know, the marginalization caused the trauma or the, and vice versa. So yeah, absolutely.
0: Yeah, we need air horns. Angela, we need to add some air horns. Bree, when you said you were decriminalizing poverty, I just wanted to like, because yeah, we, we really need to, uh, uh, to hammer that point home. And this issue is, is a doorway, as you said, sort of into a much broader conversation that we need to have. Um, and we see, you know, how the world is going and how militarism, the mindset that leads us to over-policing, what it, what it can bring us, you know, um, in, some, in so many different instances. Um, you know, Steve, I know that there's another budget season coming up. The local level in Columbus so I was just wondering, uh, especially after hearing you talk about how you know nothing really has happened since. Uh, the 1.2 million was awarded in the last budget you know like, what is what are some of the ways that the Columbus Safety collective is thinking about approaching this next budget season, what are some of your plans. Um, to continue the work of implementing a non police response and program in Columbus.
2: Yeah, absolutely. So, um, I would say like follow us like at Cbus Safety Collective because uh, we're going to be putting out the call for folks to come out um ahead of the budget process. And um, our ask to uh, the folks who set the budget in our city is largely the same as last time. We have a plan, and like, where is yours? Like last year, we presented the city. Um, a blueprint for what we are calling the crisis intervention and voluntary linkage program or civil. And we asked for $10 million to fund that. We had a, a line item budget and an org chart of how we think that should be done. And we think that they should invest in it. This is the time people are asking for it. And like we're we're waiting for that to happen. One of the things that, you know, our city two weeks ago uh, just had a Another hearing in council chambers on the state of the city's alternative um, response programs, and we continue to just like not hear a vision from public safety leadership about where they want these programs to go. Like, so um, the the mobile crisis response program is our co-responder, like police and social worker co-response program. Um, they keep talking about it, like, oh, it's this pilot, and we're assessing it. Like, this this program's been here for five years like at some point they need to get serious about these things. And so just, um, just recently in our city, um, a man who was having a, um, was having an actual like mental health episode, his sister tried to call and get access to one of these alternative programs. um, And the police ended up uh, showing up, kicking in Michael Frierson's door and shooting him. Um, And so there's a piece about like, just the the vision of like making sure that like these aren't just talking points and everyone in our city actually has access to even the services that exist. You know, so we don't have the the most important thing that we need, which is like the in-person non-police emergency response. But then the other pieces like the call diversion and the follow-up mechanisms like also need to be scaled. So we're really going to like keep pushing on this this issue of like are you serious about it like we're hearing it mentioned like in the campaign ads that are airing right now um we want to see it like them buying more than just talking points and making sure that folks have actually access to these services
0: um no that makes a lot of sense as uh as, as you're moving forward and i really like, like how you're thinking about concretely pushing uh forward um through this budget process I look forward to, to hearing how that goes seeing how that develops and I know that y'all will be continuing to push. So seeing when next steps come, you know, through the budget process, um, however it shakes out. And you, Steve, you shared a little bit of how how folks can sort of get involved and keep paying attention um, to the work that you're doing here in Columbus. Bri, uh, how can folks stay plugged in to the work that, that y'all are doing in Cleveland?
3: Yeah, um, so uh, we have um, Reach has um, a social media account. Uh, on IG, um, at Reach NEO. Um, there's also um, the website ReachNeo.org, I believe. Yeah, the CareForCle.com uh, to to stay uh, updated on what's going on with coalition, who the partners are, uh, and how to get involved. Uh, policy matters. Um, we are in close partnership um, with Reach, so and we're on uh, all social all socials as well. IG Policy Matters Ohio, um, TikTok uh, Sarah. I don't know. If, I, I don't know if it's Policy Matters Ohio or if it's just uh, Policy I think Matters. It's Policy um, Matters
1: OH. If I th-
3: thank you. Okay. Um, <laughs> and then and then and Twitter. Uh, Policy Matters Ohio also has a Twitter account. Um, yeah. So those yeah those are ways you just stay tapped in and and for ways to get involved though. Um, I would definitely uh plug um reach website and the uh care careforclee.com. Um there's a tab for uh anybody to fill out their contact information if they um want to be uh, more involved or learn, learn more about what's going on.
1: Perfect. And I lied it is Policy Matters Ohio for the TikTok, but perfect. All
0: right, perfect. Thank you. Thank you again, Steve and Bree for joining us uh to talk about the the care response work that you're doing uh, in Cleveland and Columbus. We know there's a lot of really exciting work happening um, around the country and that y'all are leading the efforts here locally in Ohio. And thank you both for bringing such, you know, your perspectives, uh, the history of the work that you've been doing. Um, We had a really rich conversation. We touched on a lot of different things. Um, And it was, I I really enjoyed it. Really appreciate getting to know you, Bree, a little bit more. And uh, Steve, really great to see you again um and we will be following along as y'all continue uh, your work and hopefully we'll have y'all back on sometime in the future to talk about uh you know w- w- what it feels like to win um after y'all have i've got some of these programs up and running and we can talk about you know of course w- once we get it then you actually have to run it and make sure it, it, it is run runs well so um that's a whole nother we'll, we'll, we'll cross that bridge when we get there so uh and looking forward to it. Um but yes, thank you so much for uh hopping on with us.
3: Yeah, thank you. Thank you um thanks James, thanks Sarah, uh thanks Steve uh for allowing me to be a part of this uh really rich conversation. Um James, solid job in uh setting the tone. Uh, this I feel like it, it it flowed organically, so happy to be a part of it. Um look forward to 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 hearing Oh yeah. You're going to, you're going to be, I've done a dozen of these podcasts. So that's the next time I see you. Yeah. <laughs> All right, we'll, we'll see about that. Don't yeah. put that on me.
2: <laughs> yeah. Looking forward to the winning conversation. Uh, hopefully the air horns will be up and running by that time. So uh, yeah. Yes. Look forward to I it. need a,
1: mm-hmm. need a soundboard over here. <laughs> <laughs> Visit what's dot com for show notes and links to learn how you can support non-police care response. Subscribe to What's Good Ohio wherever you get your podcasts and we'll see you next time to keep talking about what's good here in Ohio.